0: Hello welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango.
1: And I am your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about item progression in Pathfinder. Um, And not Han Solo, uh, the Solo movie that's coming next week. Uh, hold on to your, your fannies there. But before we talk about item progression, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um, with Pathfinder 2.0 coming out, we have uh, a cool opportunity to kind of revisit the item progression systems that have kind of dominated Pathfinder uh, in its 10-year runtime. Uh, and, of course, we're like kind of birthed from... for you know 10 years before that so we have 20 years basically of uh item progression systems that were based on kind of like this model to talk about and also a couple of iterations on them because like in Pathfinder Unchained we got a couple of different uh you know like the inherent bonuses no magic items uh there's there's a system for that uh there's the you know, like the 50-50 and you remove all of the power six items and everything like that. So clearly Pathfinder has a, a, an interesting relationship with its own kind of item and gold uh, economy, which uh, which we wanted to get into.
0: Yeah, and, and you can also draw some clear parallels between the other versions of D&D and some stuff from video games. And I think that all kind of like ties into item progression as a system. Um, and I think yeah. kind of the the, the 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 basis of this of item progression is that um, uh, you know I'm'm gonna, I'm gonna make a call back to the angry GM like I do a bunch but um uh, basically this idea that gold is a form of progression in the same way that experiences um, it, it it upgrades a separate path but one that's um, also like uh, also super important to the characters and this has some <coughs> um, side effects that are, um, not so like, you know, there's obviously the positive aspects it, but there's also some, uh, negative aspects to it, such as kind of like, um, the desirability of consumables, I, th- I think is kind of one of the big ones is, is, uh, um, essentially the idea that if you spend your money on, on a consumable, that's money that doesn't go to a permanent upgrade and that's kind of, uh, wasted to, uh, more or less, um, yeah. and, uh. Not to
1: mention that there are um, kinds of competing philosophies among GMs and, like, APs and stuff like that. Like, uh, we've played in games where wealth by level is very strict, where it's very kind of, um, like, fluid. But, uh, like, rarely does it ever feel as though there is infinite gold to be generated in the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like in the game. It feels like, oh, well, you know, we need to go buy some consumables. So let's go complete a couple of side quests to get the the money that we need in order to do that. Which might be a philosophy that you could use in something like Fallout or Skyrim, right? Because there's kind of like effectively infinite money on the map. Um, and if you feel like you're gonna need those consumables, you can like farm them up to a certain extent. Um, WoW is another great example of this. Uh, but in but in Pathfinder, it does it doesn't feel like you have that same luxury because there's also not a lot that you can do, you know, like because everything is like tied to a story and everything like that. You there's not a lot that you can do that doesn't reward you experience points and like ends up feeling as though this wealth by level sort of template is going to be applied to you no matter what.
0: Yeah, and and. I, so, I, actually, this is kind of jumping a little bit ahead of where I wanted to go with this. I think that you could do something like that. I, I think that you could. Um, it, I don't think you could do it with, say, like an adventure path, but I think that that one of the potential solutions to this is a thing, is kind of this, this idea that, like, the party says, oh, we need more money. And they, they you know, like, we we would like, you know, as a you know, party, when the, the GMS party, what they want to do, the answer is, uh, we want to go make money so we can buy the sort of badassery from the the blacksmith because we feel it's going to be important on our ultimate path um but um obviously that doesn't always work out in terms of the story beats right like you know half the time you're out in the middle of nowhere and those opportunities just don't exist half the time you're on like a, a schedule and like the you know impending doom means you can't take a break to go do whatever um uh but yeah, I I, I think you're, you're you're generally correct that like, um, you're kind of tied to, um, basically the 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 set gold going into, it. and I I think there's there's a gradation to this too. I think when you do strict wealth by level, I think this really came out in that game of Rise of the Lords we played, yeah. um, where it was strictly wealth by level. Every penny you don't spend on, um, advancing your character permanently is wasted, um, and it, and you could feel that a lot more when you know that.
1: I mean, it wasn't even just that. It was any penny you spend, like, suboptimally. Yeah. Right? Um, So, for instance, Mark was generating item shops for us, uh, and Nick kind of famously refused to buy items that seemed perfectly suited to his character, specifically because they were suboptimal compared to items that he believed he would be able to purchase later on in Magnemar. Right? Because, you you know, like, in Mag- like the, hypothetically, in Magnamar, you can go get a flaming enchant on your dagger, and a flaming enchant is going to be a way more source of consistent damage than the kind of conditional damage type um, that Mark was kind of uh, enchanting onto the weaponry that Nick might want. And, like, some of us bought into it, right? Like, I bought that red steel katana, uh, for instance, but... It was, uh, you know, like that was like a point of contention, right? Because every, it is a zero sum game. Every single gold piece you spend is a piece of gold that you no longer have down the line. At best, it is 50% when you resell that item to upgrade later. And I might make an argument, like, and I don't want to say that that's like an absolute thing because there definitely is a counter argument. Um, For instance, if you just kind of math it out and you say, okay, well, Nick is going to go for 12 sessions sitting on a pile of, you know, 5,000 GP or whatever, right? the the gp burning a hole in your pocket doesn't do you material good and hypothetically speaking even the even waiting for the more consistent flaming dagger doesn't offset the cost of if nick had bought you know this this other dagger 12 sessions ago right he would have gotten more use out of it in the long run right like so there is kind of a counter argument but it, it is something that um at least kind of like from a perception standpoint paralyzed his ability to uh, like purchase items in in a in a kind of um, I guess like expected way
0: yeah and and you know I, I think you've got a point that that's like a more um, kind of continuous view of things versus like an end state view right like I, yeah. I think I think the natural tendency is to say like you know at and at end state of game you want your character to be as powerful as possible rather than thinking about the usefulness along the way um
1: yeah people are I think kind of coded to think about sort of like best in slot for their end game. Um, which is funny is like for D D because so rarely does that ever come to fruition.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think part of this part of this that I wanted to get to is 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 that um, your like the, this this is a thing that's very that's brought into stark contrast by uh, wealth by level, um, and it's it's kind of incredible because even though that's also technically true for most I think uh, Pathfinder games especially ones that are on an adventure path where that number exists if you don't see it exactly like if you're not like very consciously aware of the fact that that number is x then it feels less um uh you feel less of that pressure if that makes sense right, right? like like uh you know you know may uh it tells rebels i suspect um uh we have like there is a total number of gold that we will get by the end of the campaign but i'm not actively thinking about that when I'm making purchasing decisions because it appears to be fluid. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have
1: have worked to make it much more fluid. I I actually think that you guys are, I guess, over-gilded at the the current time because in a lot of, like, the dungeons and stuff like that, I kind of overfill with an expectation that you might miss some things, right? So typically what I do is I fill a dungeon with 125% of... Uh, or, like, 135 or something like that percent of your wealth by le- – like, the expected wealth by level that you're going to come out with, sort of. So that, like, if you find all of the secret chests and hideaways, right, you are, you are actually coming away over – like, over-gilded. Um, and I think over the course of the game – I, I do actually remember that there was one where you guys missed a kind of like pretty big pot and you came away under. But I'm pretty sure over the course of the game, you guys have full cleared, um, or at least gotten over that 100% marker enough that you are um, uh, that you are ahead of schedule when it comes to sort of like wealth by level for for your level. Though I also think House Rebels isn't necessarily a, like the greatest approximation just because um, the bonus feats are pretty huge and a, and a big part of the power budget, um, like Merigrug, for instance, interfaces with his bonus feats uh, from a power perspective uh, pretty commonly, and uh, and not items, and so I think that that's taken away a little bit of, like, the pressure on items in order to keep you guys competitive with higher CR monsters, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and honestly, uh, Beauregard, um, since he is so combat ineffective, like... I am probably better off spending my money on like Hacks than I am on myself. Yeah. Um, which is fine. That, like, it's,
1: I mean, you're better off spending your actions on Hacks than you are yeah, yeah. on yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, kind of makes sense when you think about it that yeah, way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um.
1: Uh, you're you're absolutely right, but um. But, so, I, I, I agree with you. To me, though, a lot of this is very localized to the Wealth by Level system. I think Wealth by Level as a system. I, you know, I, I kind of get it for what it is at the time because it kind of allows this sort of, you know, flexibility. And it feels weird to put some kind of, if gold is a universal resource, right, it does feel weird to kind of put any kind of limiting factor on it. Uh, The example would be something like Starfinder where there are explicit item levels in the game and you cannot purchase above your item level sort of thing. Um, And that is a hard thing to kind of accept from a flavor system perspective because like, you know, let's say I I am the son of a noble and I have half a million gold. Or whatever at level one, why shouldn't I be able to buy a plus five Vorpal Greatsword? Yeah, I mean, and just like run around like destroying the fuck out of these goblins. And so the way that they kind of did the the way that they kind of dealt with that in three five and carried it over into Pathfinder is they made worth by level um, an effectively exponential system. I mean, explicitly exponential when it comes to magic items and weapons, right? (coughs) But effectively exponential in the sense that like you are. It is not just the amount of gold; it is the rate at which you earn gold that will be increasing over time, um, and that will kind of keep a, a some a somewhat, you know, stable power curve to things. Um, and uh, and unfortunately, I just think that that's an unstable model that will always end up with these sorts of problems. Um, and that the only way that you can really work it is by introducing something like item levels. Um, because item levels do feel like in my Starfinder game, we are very in line with that kind of ideal interfacing with items that I think we're talking about, where you know we're we're thinking about our power state in a in a continuous sense and we're looking forward to things to buy you know like and and everybody kind of has these like wish lists and like oh next level i'm gonna be get. you know i'm gonna get this and that and the other thing um and, and and part of this is that nick is a very thorough gm in the way that like mark and i haven't been um in terms of you know using loot tables out of the ap and communicating those loop tables to us and then we talk about it, and divvy stuff up and then we sell the rest you know um that's not something that mark really had a lot of patience for uh and it's not something that uh i have a ton of patience for but it kind of helps the system work yeah i
0: i also think part of this too is that um uh on the one hand uh part of the thing with uh, with 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 wealth by level is I don't actually think it was ever meant to be used as kind of like a like a,
1: a like si- a barometer this way or no I think
0: it's supposed to be used as a barometer but not as like a, a a a kind of you level up you get this much wealth system which is oh
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: um I I, th- I think part of like part of that is is you know is it's meant for characters coming in at X level. Right, that way you can approximate that, and you know, if you have a new player at the table, you don't have to worry about them being behind on gear. You can just be like, "Well, you should have about this much gold," um, and it works out. Um, although I do think that those instances in particular really highlight the the, the some of the problems because you can like, um,
1: yeah, those instances are very bad because typically people are much more efficient when they get a giant lump sum than yeah. you know yeah. Uh, this is one of the things that I actually enjoy about Hell's Rebels quite a bit is. You know because we're using the baseline mechanics, which means that when you sell something you sell it at fifty percent you know like that that sort of thing um, it means that when I put a you know a, a a thundering rapier in a loot cache, that is valued at like six thousand gold or whatever. But if you want the fluid gold to come from it you you have to pay a big premium on that, um, yeah. which I think is very important to kind of like keeping um you know, it's it's one of the things that helps uh, make sure that in Starfinder, we're we're like engaging with the loot system in a good way. I but I do think that that your point about with, with by level is uh, is a good one because if if we were playing super raw, like rules as written, we would be um w- like I I wouldn't be generating gold out of the wealth-by-level table, I would be generating gold out of treasure tables, right, Uh, which are built off of, I believe, like, XP and encounter tables and shit like that. And so, you know, like... And this is part of, like, the whole 3-5 sort of, like you know this this is a system that can simulate the entire world sort of thing but uh the inefficiency of it aside i don't think i've ever really engaged enough with the systems on how treasure hordes are created and everything like that to have a good sense for whether or not treasure hordes would be a more balanced and better way um of kind of approaching this system than the way that we currently have it
0: yeah um I think there's some some other things that also kind of get in the way of, of loot acting the way it should. Um, I think in in so some things I think Starfinder does right is because like, you because you can only sell at ten percent. Um, selling is infinitely worse, um, and this makes this is like I, I have I took the talent that lets you turn like pistol like uh, pistols and rifles into grenades as a mechanic. Uh. Um, and that doesn't make any sense if you want to sell them for money because you're just, like, literally throwing cash away. But they, they're worth so little that it doesn't really um, matter. I also think that there's also um, a, a difference in kind of the theming of science fiction versus fantasy. I think science fiction kind of the gear has a much kind of uh, larger kind of presence in in in, in the theme, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so kind of being able to engage with that, that – uh, uh, that, that theme so, so specifically, um, is, is important, whereas in fantasy, I think that there is a lot of, like, oh, you found this ancient artifact, and that's not always, um, what you, uh, what you like, right, um, but I, I, I just kind of on, on that point specifically, I think that, um, part of the issue with fantasy game loot is that there is a lot of, uh fantasy and personality that gets tied into what you imagine your character is. Um and so and a lot of that can be tied into say your specific weapon or your specific uh armor. Um it's not true for all characters, but like, you know, I'm you know my uh I play a lot of characters when I'm playing like fightery characters that use hammers. Uh-huh. Um and you throw a thundering rapier in there, right? It's like well yeah, it's better than my normal hammer, but I like using my hammer, yeah. right? And so, um, while they're you know, it's it's if you have a character that can kind of adapt into that role, it works. I think that um, the fantasy of wanting to use the weapon that you like, quote unquote, is is a is a perfectly valid no, one. No,
1: I super feel this because I've played kind of two games where I've played a samurai character. Um, and you know, you're right. You're you always want to play with, like a katana or whatever, but I believe in both games, I don't quite know if I gave up my katana in, um, in Rise of the Rune Lords actually, I think I, I think I did though, and then I eventually got another katana on the back end, um, but, uh, but in the, uh, Reign of Winter, whatever, fucking that, that game was, um, that we played, it wasn't Reign of Winter or something else, but, um. Endless Winter. Uh, I was playing a samurai character that was using a great axe for a while, just because like the great axe was like, you know, like the artifact weapon, and Nick didn't want to use it, so I used it. Um, and like, yeah, I I do think that that that's a piece of it. It's one of those things where it's like it it feels a lot easier to move between. Oh, I'm using a rifle to i'm using a shotgun right in starfinder um then it feels to like i'm using a hammer versus i'm using a great axe versus i'm using a great sword you know like i do think that that kind of uh i think that that kind of like fantasy is a big piece of the game that isn't like super appropriately dealt with i guess um the other thing i think about this sort of thing is um it's the modularity of enchantments is better in Starfinder because, like, even if, you know, like, th- there's weapon fusions and stuff like that um, that allow me to swap between weapons. Um, so even if I am kind of, like, going from, you know, like, a, a plasma pistol to a cryo pistol or something like that, right, like, I can still kind of keep some of the power around or I can, like, get some of the power out of it. <laughs> same thing with like armor upgrades for instance whereas in pathfinder nothing is modular you know it's not like i can like disenchant that vorpal and re-enchant it onto my you know preferred sword or something along those lines
0: yeah no i i, I absolutely uh feel that i think um part of that too is there's also, there's also a lot of specialization right like like fighters right they get weapon specialization like weapon group specializations and if you find something outside of that group even if you still have that group but it's a lower bonus you're you're, you're losing power yeah um
1: um i mean oh you know what yeah no so now that i think about it it would have been impossible for me to use anything but the katana wakizashi because i was using style feats that were specifically built for the the katana wakizashi um when i was playing kenzo
0: yeah and and you know those are like like those are you know that, that's a valid choice for you to want to make about your character and so at at some level that, that 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 can make make this gold kind of progression fluctuate uh kind of seriously within uh w- within an individual game right like yeah. if if you run the exact same adventure path and like you know the the generated quote unquote uh loot fits with your party that's and versus a, another party that runs through that is, that has like a 0% hit rate. Um, you, you're literally at 50% gold capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that it's ever that bad or that good, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's a thing that happens. Um, I think something that will, uh, help with this, um, is kind of making the retraining rules a little bit more, uh, front and center. It's, it's going in the core rule book in 2E. So I, I, think that'll help. Um, uh, but I, al- I, I also think that there are, um, uh, uh, ways to, w- ways around some of this stuff. Um, uh, specifically, the, the bigger thing to me is there's all these t- tables and tables of cool consumables um, that you feel you can't use a lot because they are, unless they are very cheap, they, you know, they take away from this this potential gold cap. Like, there's some consumables that are like two or three K a piece, and that's only, they are only become viable to buy at that point, when you're outside of what their DC lets them actually be effective at, right? Um, and so, um, I'm curious as to, as to your thoughts as to how to make them maybe a little bit more attractive. I know when we talked previously this you, um, you and I kind of had opposite uh, feelings on uh, the the old three five system. Um, in order to create items, you had to spend XP, um, and made that more fungible resource um, than than uh, than using Pathfinder and, and uh, uh, I've. F- I felt that um, that always made me not want to craft anything, unless I was an artificer who got, like, a free pool in 3.5. But I knew that you felt differently about it.
1: Um, You know, it's just something... So, it also kind of depended on how experience was awarded out in 3.5. But I think that, yeah, in 3.5, XP was a more fungible currency in the same way that GP was, and so this was comparatively less of a problem than in Pathfinder, where... Um, XP is not spent on doing stuff like crafting in the same way um, so yeah I, I don't think it's a good system but I do think that it is uh, it, it there they these two things are closer together in 3 five than in Pathfinder for that reason I guess is really the like kind of like the the thesis uh, statement and I actually do think that having XP be something um, that is you know like so for instance obviously getting raised in three five has you know uh, XP penalties and shit like that right like I think those sorts of things that make things more uh, more fluid from a level standpoint and an XP standpoint um, are are kind of like one way to solve this problem if that makes sense. Um, and that, like, hypothetically speaking, I think the because it's closer together in 3-5, like, because these things are closer together in 3-5, that makes it a little bit better. But I don't think it's a good system overall, which is kind of why I've seen, I think, everything has been going away from this system, right? Like, you know, I mean, 4E kind of picks up a, um, it sort of does the same thing, but it picks up kind of the item levels uh, thing by very, like, meticulously plotting out what, what kind of appropriate item levels are um for for characters um and specifically for like encounters right you know when you're level 1 to 5 you're only going to get item level 1 to 5 items um you know 5 e i 5e is a lot less item intensive intensive in general as is, is my understanding
0: uh at least the game i've played in yes
1: yeah and then, obviously, Starfinder kind of, like, introduces item levels. So I think we're moving away from this kind of no matter what. Uh, but I do think in a world where XP is fungible and currency is fungible, um, it is a better overall system. Because, like, in a world where I can die and then drop in levels, right, but I have the same amount of gold because, you know, like, I don't lose all of my stuff when I die or whatever, right? Like, I think that, that there are some, like, positives in to to, to that sort of Play and that sort of system.
0: Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think we should do an episode on, on on character death at some point. Maybe we already did, and I've forgotten. Um, but uh, I think that'd be an interesting to get into because I think there's a whole set of other things there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because
1: in because in three five, or not in three five, in Pathfinder you just need to remove. The negative levels with like a restoration spell you know what i mean so you're kind of you just need to cast two spells back to back sort of thing but yeah no in three five you die you need to go back and really yeah. re-earn all that experience that you lost um also three five i feel like was a little bit more um experience gated i can't quite remember the rules for how experience is awarded to the party but i feel like it wasn't a, it wasn't an equal split do you know what um, i mean
0: so it's not that it's not an equal split. It's that if you did something like multi-class, you'd level up slower. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there I, was I,
1: that kind of, like, experience penalty.
0: Yeah, and, and so I, I think that if um, if it, there was a tendency for characters to be at different experience levels yeah, a little yep. bit easier, um, which is the thing I think I'd be interested in doing at some point is, is kind of, like, playing around with that idea. um.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first game that I ever played, it was a bunch of level 1 characters and a level 7 character. Because we were playing Star Wars, and in Star Wars, you are a Padawan from Jedi levels 1 to 6, and then at the Jedi level 7, you become a, a Jedi Knight. Um, and so in order to do that kind of like master and apprentice... Roaming the galaxy thing, one of us had to be super powerful and the rest of us had to be very weak. And the game wasn't really balanced around that properly, but I would be interested in kind of playing a game sort of along those lines. Like, somebody is two levels ahead of you guys, right? You you are, like, you're playing with the Obi-Wan Kenobi and it's somebody who is two levels ahead of you guys and he's kind of implicitly carrying the rest of the team. And there's kind of like an asymmetry to how the team works, you know what I mean? I actually think that that would be very fun from a technical perspective, but I don't know that people would really want to opt into that kind of, uh, power dynamic yeah. inside of the, inside of the group.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think a thing where like you kind of advance levels at different rates because of, you know, attendance or whatever, um, and keeping it relatively close together. I think that could be neat if everybody yeah. was, was, was on board for it. Um, Uh, But, again, I'd have to to think about a little bit more. But um, uh, kind of back on on the the goal topic, I wanted to float an idea by you and and see what you you thought of this because I've been trying to think of solutions to kind of some some of these progression problems. Um, uh, What what do you think? Because uh, this is kind of taken from the 5e campaign I play in. I don't know if this is typical for 5e or not, but... um, Items bought from shots are typically very mundane. Um, and most of our kind of, like, special stuff comes from, as, as like, loot. Um, and and it's not really very fungible. Um, so I was thinking, well, what would you think of a system where you, like, you, you never get any of kind of, like, the, the like the core stats and the, your core items from buying it. And, and you can, and you only, uh, you only ever find those things or get it, like, as, as... Or, for lack of a better term quest rewards if you want the the magical blacksmith to give you a plus one you have to do him a favor rather than paying him like 3500 gold
1: um interesting that is interesting <clears throat> as compared to kind of like the raw system yeah well yes. Yeah, as compared as compared to everything having like a
0: a straight gold because val- I, like,
1: I do think i i like that system better and 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 it's also something that i think about and like kind of use in in hell's rebels to a certain extent because like when you think about raw 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 how the system is supposed to work basically everything is randomly generated right Right. item shops are randomly generated but so are treasure hordes you know you don't put you don't put specific things in treasure hordes You, you you randomly generate those off of tables as well so in that kind of world right you that i i i see the same problem that you have because rng will always fuck someone you know what i mean even if it like works out for the fighter but if i'm like a rogue and i can't and i can only use light weapons or whatever and i just never roll good light weapons of course i'm gonna have to go to shops and place specific orders or whatever you know and when you place specific orders you're not just paying like full gold price right so you're selling the loot that you get sort of out of the dungeon and then you are paying full gold price to to pick up something specific out of a shop, right? You are you are selling the loot at half price and then you need to make a a custom order which is 1.5 times the price uh according to raw pathfinder item rules which means that like if you are a rogue and you need an upgrade to your daggers right you need to pay a huge premium in order to get that out of um like out of an item shop right uh which is which is a problem unless unless you can find like a city and it's low enough level that you can do that kind of like 75 percent or lower sort of thing um uh, where, where like, the base GP value of that city is low. Or, um, or I'm sorry, is is it's high. Uh, it's high enough yeah, so that, yeah. It's yeah. high enough so that everything under that, you just roll 75% chance die to die to pick up your two daggers sort of thing. Um, but I don't think that's a good system. And so what I do in Hell's Rebels is when I give you guys loot caches, right, I tailor the loot caches to you to try and give you more... Um, effective items so essentially item shops are randomly generated and they are randomly generated by raw like i just use one of the raw um like simulators out there on the internet you know like that'll just generate um item shops for you guys for like everything in a a specific city or something along those lines Mm -hmm. um but if i but if you guys are getting loot out of something or like you're getting like quest rewards those quest rewards are things that i am looking through the item list and saying "Ooh, this would be interesting I'm gonna give that to the to the party, right? And uh, and you know, hey man, like sometimes you guys sell shit, right? Uh, but sometimes somebody picks it up. Like I am flabbergasted that fucking Rekax did not pick up that lion cloak that I put in there that I think you were wearing.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I've, I've I've been using it just because. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? Like it's more tricks.
1: <laughs> and then uh, and you know, so there's stuff like that. He's also missed a couple of other things. Like I put in a. Uh, like a glaive or like a rancier that was like enchanted with something that I thought he would like, but he didn't buy it. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, But so, uh, so in that sense, I think that you want to prior. I I agree with the, with the baselines, uh, like principles of what you're describing, where you want um, the kind of core items to come from quest rewards and adventuring. Right. And then you have supplemental items that can be purchased in shops um, or on, like, marketplaces or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about, like, a mundane magical split when it comes to that stuff. Um, a part of me kind of likes the idea of, like, modulating out enchanting and, uh, like, items. Like, maybe you go to the blacksmith to get the masterwork. It's a great sword that you want, and then you go to an enchanter to put the enchantment you want on it um, instead of going to a blacksmith who makes a plus two great axe or something. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that, that and that kind of solves on the back end. It solves that problem that we were talking about of like player expression um because it means that, you know, whatever enchantments are you you walk into the enchantment shop, whatever enchantments are available, right, are available. Um but you combine that with whatever weapons are available in the weapons shop.
0: Yeah. Um I think that like, the, the, the goal kind of in, in completely separating out, like, like making kind of magical stuff kind of ve- either impossible or very hard to find as, as as purchasable items is to make spending gold on, like, things that are, like, like so things like consumables less kind of painful, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, I, I don't think it totally solves that problem, um. Uh, kind of in the same vein, it just kind of occurred to me, is, is, is what, do you, what do you think, just kind of broadly, and as it applies to this, of, of player crafting? Because I think that's also a very, very valid character fantasy, but it also has the potential to totally fuck with all the system.
1: Oh, man, I really hate craft player crafting. Uh, like, I banned crafting. Or I don't know that I banned crafting. I think I banned crafting in Hell's Rebels, because I think it's bad. Um it's just so effective, uh, especially for spellcasters, because spellcasters typically don't have a lot of stuff to spend feats on. We saw this with um, Josh's character in Hell's—I'm no, sorry—in Iron Gods. He didn't—he was—he was a wizard into a technomancer, and he just didn't really have good stuff to spend feats on. So he just got crafting feats, and for the rest of the game, we were all just getting um, kind of half-price enchanting gear um i do like magical crafting uh to a certain extent i think i like the 2e system better where magical crafting doesn't require spell casting um i think it, kind of anybody should be able to be a you know a, a a master uh a master craftsman um i think specifically that the gold value you know like or so, i'm sorry like the gold premium needs to change um so for instance a good way to do this is to say or like right now it's 50 percent when you just you know what i mean um, but you maybe you up that to 75%, right? Or maybe you up it even higher than that, but kind of make it like a, like a plans thing. This is kind of like a wow version of things where it's like you don't know how to how to make a, you know uh, a flaming long sword or something. You know what I mean? like you don't know how to put the flaming enchant on something until you buy like the flaming plans or something like that. Right, and so if you want to make a flaming great sword, right, first you need to buy the flaming enchant plans. Then you need to buy great sword plans. Then you need to, you know what I mean. Then you need to go uh, and like craft it together. And maybe that's ninety percent, right? But in you know when you level up a bunch or whatever, now you already have the quote-unquote plans for this. And so, like, if you want to ma- make yourself a Flaming Greatsword, okay, great, now th- that's 90%. But if you want to make the Paladin a Flaming Greatsword, now you're at 50%. Do you know what I mean? Because you've kind of paid twenty twenty on the plans, if that makes sense. And so it is a little more uh, kind of, like, specialized and nuanced rather than, like, oh, is this on the fucking wizard spell list? Then you're good to go. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um. Oh yeah! Did I ever tell you how uh, we back in in uh, college in uh, my 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 master's year uh, played a game with Nick and Mark um, where Mark and I both took leadership at level seven and our companions were both just craft monkeys.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. God, and so like, walk,
0: and there was like cancer. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you know two feats total to get access to literally every kind of like crafting ability. Um, Uh, and, um, I think, I think that that kind of plan thing makes sense. Um, I don't, I feel like, I feel like you wouldn't need it for some of the more mundane stuff. Like, I don't think you need, like, great sword plans, quote unquote. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but I, I I do think you've said on something there where, like, if you, because defeats make everyone kind of a generalist, it makes it broadly effective. Mm. Um, and so maybe if you specialize that a bit more. Um, also like, I feel like there's, there's, uh, a desire to kind of like, I, I, I think you've kind of hit on it. The, the 50% is maybe just a little too strong for what, uh, for, for, uh, what you're putting into it, right? Like you want to give some benefit to the player. Um, And I think, actually, part of the problem is that this is all resting on feats, and feats are very valuable, so you kind of have to give it a lot of value to make it worth taking. And um, I don't know this for a fact, because I'm not, you know, I obviously haven't seen the Pathfinder 2e stuff yet, but I feel like, I I, I think they're going to start tying that stuff to to these new skill proficiency rankings. I think those are going to be a little bit less kind of valuable, so you, you can reduce kind of the benefit of being able to to do those things yourself. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, and Starfinder, Starfinder, I think it went a little too far. If you make things, you don't need anything really except for like a skill point to do something. But the only benefit to creating it yourself is they've got a little bit more hardness. Um, but I also don't think that that fantasy is as important as uh, as it is in f- or, like, the fantasy of building your own stuff isn't as important in sci-fi as it is in fantasy.
1: Yeah, I, I also think that a uh, feet you know what I mean like the feat tax I like part of me also likes the idea that you can upgrade this shit over time. Right? Yeah, um, something that I haven't seen but I kind of hope to see. Is uh, that like item materials become uh, like a more important thing in in Pathfinder? So like, uh, part of me likes the idea that okay, you have great sword plans and you have flaming plans, right? But like, you can if you are if you are a smith who forges your own great swords, right? Well all you need to do is get better materials and you reforge the sword, but this time with Mithril and then, and then five levels later you reforge the same sword, but this time with Adamantite, right? That feels good to me because you know, you've put the feet, you know, like you've put the feet into it, obviously. Um, and you put that like one time cost, And so kind of it being cheaper, like later down the line, as you like are effectively upgrading your own gear, right? Um, that that seems pretty good to me. I like that a lot, uh, but unfortunately, I don't know uh, how seriously you know you can like. I I have a feeling that even if that were the case, all that does is kind of just make people want to take. Um, like the fear here is that I don't have anything to do with my crafting feats as a fighter, so I take these feats in order to give myself even a marginal discount. Yeah, um, you know because like getting the. You know, whatever athletics skill feet or whatever, right? Like, I'd rather like make the gold back um, by continually making myself flaming great swords than, uh, you know, then like get uh, the athletics feet for run or jump far or something kind of along those sorts of lines.
0: Yeah, no, no, no that, that that makes sense. Um, I think I think another way that you could approach approach this um is. Um, I think the solution is very much campaign tailored. I don't think you can write into a journalist system, but things like stuff, like there are things that are only available to player crafters that aren't available at at the world at large and vice versa, right? Like there, and if you want certain upgrades, you can only get them as a player. Um, And if you want certain other upgrades, you can only buy them out from like a a, a vendor. Yeah. I think, I think this could also like, like letting, a player specialize, I think like in this way, I, I think could kind of solve some of this problem, but, but this kind of just is, is getting, um, I, I think all these solutions just kind of get around this, this, this kind of gold, um, by, by progression system, by kind of removing the kind of one-to-one ratios you, you get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you have any, you have any ideas for, for, uh, solutions for this?
1: I do like, uh, I like Starfinder quite a bit when it comes to item levels. Um, they've said some stuff that kind of seems to suggest that they're going to be going along with something like that in Pathfinder 2 e which I think would be a good idea. Um, I definitely like item levels um, as a, you know, even even if it's just kind of like, like a very hand-waved thing. Like in Pathfinder, or, I'm sorry, in Starfinder, you know, like people won't sell you heavy, super heavy ordnance you know what I mean, just because you have the money for it sort of thing, because, you know, you're selling somebody a fucking rocket launcher is, like, a big deal. Um, and even though if you actually sit down and interrogate it, like, what is the in-game difference between, like, a Red Star Plasma 1 and a Red Star Plasma 2 that people have, you know, made, like, item levels out of it or whatever, kind of, like... Um, that. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I think it's just, like, necessary um, in order to kind of create... The, uh, the way for people to interface with the system uh, as they should. Uh, that said, I also think that crafting should be better than it is in Starfinder. Um, I agree with you that, you know, there's a little bit of crafting that I think is part of the, you know, like, it's part of the fantasy. Like, as a mechanic, I kind of want to craft some shit, you know, um, but it does suck that I don't get much of a benefit out of it. Um, and so I do think that crafting should be, like, valuable, um, maybe a version of things where crafting is one-to-one from a, from a gold perspective, but, like, the pool is better, right? Like, a merchant won't sell you—this is actually kind of a wow thing—like, a merchant won't sell you, um, you know, an eye level 8 weapon when you're level 7, right? But you can craft one level ahead of yourself, right? So, you know, like, maybe that's the kind of power that you gain out of a crafting feat. Um, is that like when you want to upgrade, you can do it earlier um, because because you are making it yourself rather than like buying it or some shit. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah, I, I could see that working. I
1: also think I mean what we have seen um, of of items and stuff like that uh, is they have a lot of different like traits and attributes. You and know, I kind of talked about this a little bit. Like I've talked about how I really like the forty system for two handed weapons because um, they made kind of this trifecta where uh, great Axes have the best crit. Uh, they had better crit in the game. Um, mauls, like like hammers, like war hammers, have the highest base damage, right? They had 2d6 instead of like 1d10 or 1d12 or something like that. Um, and then swords were more accurate and they gave you proficiency bonuses um, so that you would hit more often. And I like that, and, and that was kind of an informal sort of, um, you know, you, you could differentiate yourself but you like a great axe is not the same as a great sword is not the same as as a war hammer. Those are all um, sort of different things. And I think in baseline Pathfinder there is not enough difference to be super um, to just be like really interesting about it. Um, but they have they have been talking about uh, some of like the weapons and like yeah having a reach weapon is a lot different than having a great sword is a lot different than having you know uh, an axe or something like that. Even though they're all two handed. Uh, like two-handed weapons. And I think that that's kind of like the right approach to that stuff as well. Uh, but I do think that it also requires you to make enchantments something that is a little bit more modular. Um, like, I, like I do hope that they kind of split up sort of magic item shops instead of just being, you walk into town and these are the high-level magic items that are for sale. It is, you know, you walk into town and there's an enchanter and he's willing to put these different enchantments on your shit for this gold.
0: Yeah. yeah. know, that, that 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 makes that, that definitely makes sense to me. Um
1: because like yeah, like if I'm going to tailor my whole playstyle around playing a, you know, a spear, a long spear fighter or something like that. I've actually always wanted to play one of these from Pathfinder first edition. They have like phalanx fighters um, who do two-handed reach weapons in one hand and then a shield in their other hand. Uh, kind of like hoplites or something like that. Um, you know, like, yeah, like, I think if you tailor yourself around fighting with a specific weapon type, you really shouldn't be super... Pu- like, you. it should be easier um, to walk into a, a, a town and find that weapon um, for yourself.
0: Yeah, um, and, and on, on the flip side of that, I think if you want to kind of make the guy who's, like, willing to pick up whatever he finds on in the treasure cache and use that and, and reward that playstyle... You have to also kind of throw that guy a bone. Um mm. a little bit too. And I, I I think that it kind of like um still having those like randomly generated weapons with specific feats like, you know, instead of finding like a crystal of en, enchant fire or whatever in the cash, you probably still find your flaming longsword. Um that way you can you can kind of throw a bone to to that guy. Um I, I'm I'm actually kind of curious. I, I wonder if you know, you surveyed a bunch of, of RPG players, if the if the the guy who who is fixated on his preferred style or the guy who kind of like rolls with whatever he finds in the treasure cache, is more prevalent. And I would I would guess the former, um, especially yeah, more I would martial guess the characters. former
1: because of us. But I but I do think that there's a certain amount of like confirmation bias to that answer. Sure. That's how you know like that's how I play. That's how predominantly all of us play um therefore you know i think i I might be a little skewed like i kind of wonder what like a pathfinder society character looks like
0: yeah although i i think kind of i think this is less like like i think yes you've got a point with the confirmation bias but i think in general um the kind of fantasy is like you know your image of your character includes your weapon is, is a little bit more solid than that yeah um i mean you could point to legion um, and and see that right like that that was kind of the whole theme of of World of Warcraft Legion was was you know iconic weapons, um and who, who gives a fuck about everything else and I, I, I yeah thi- yeah I, I think that that's got real power and real fantasy to it and uh, maybe it's not more prevalent than somebody who's willing to kind of like uh uh kind of like switch around but like um, I also
1: think in fantasy media it's the same sort of, you know what I mean like in the media that we are all kind of like puppeteering um and, and emulating, right? Like, what is Jon Snow without Longclaw, right? Um or like what does Jon Snow carrying a bastard sword called Longclaw tell you about him, right? Versus um, you know, Euron Greyjoy carrying a big black, you know, great axe into into combat. Right? Like you the people flavor like th- those things flavor. There's something like inherently knightly and noble about having a uh you know, like, about having a... Uh, uh, heroes a use swords. Sword. Yeah, heroes use swords, and then, like... But, like, if you're a Viking berserker, right, then you have a bearded axe, right? Like, that, yeah. that, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, axes, I think, are, are a little bit more savage in, 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 in inherently than... Uh, yep. Um, and if you're an elf, you use a bow. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also think that's true for, you know, like, we haven't really talked about... Um, You know, bows and stuff like that. But bows have an interesting relationship to it, too, because they have ammunition. And, like, when you buy – like, buying consumable ammunition, like, suffers the same kind of problem. Um, Yeah. But it's, like, even worse for – you know, because, like, I think there is a big fantasy that's like, well, I'm going to buy a Thunderstrike arrow and a smokescreen arrow – and uh, you know... Yeah, basically rocket. your
0: green arrow or your Hawkeye. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: right? Like, yeah, that, that's, like, the green arrow. That's the Hawkeye kind of, like... You have all these, like, trick arrows in there or whatever. But those are consumables, and it's kind of, like, suffers from the same sort of, like... Eh, do I want to?
0: Yeah, and then they're, and they're expensive, right? And yeah. and it's not helped by the fact that if you put the enchantment on the bow, it works for every piece of, like, garbage ammunition you put through it.
1: Yeah. And well. this is actually... And this is one of the things that I wanted to do, um, you know, where, like... Late great uh, Skull and Shackles campaign that I always wanted to play with Mateo because the the idea with that was that Mark and I were going to be teaming up where Mark would be using his poisons on my arrows um, because I was a ranger and he was an inquisitor um, and I think that like that's a cool you know like that's a cool thing right like that's a cool fantasy to kind of like uh, to kind of like have um, but I do kind of like wonder how that how they'll integrate that with like you know the alchemist. I have to say, The Alchemist is moving in a completely different direction than I expected, right? Like, I, I like the version of The Alchemist where it is, um, you know, like, the the Alchemist concoctions that you're making and, like, the extracts and everything are unique to you, right? You don't have... Like the, craft al- like, the craft alchemy skill doesn't let you make alchemist bombs, but they're going the opposite direction, which is anybody can make an alchemist bomb. It is just that an alchemist gets crazy bonuses when they are using bombs.
0: Yeah, and, and I, th- I think that they've got, like, just a lot more capability in, in that aspect, too, but I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I, and, I, and, I, and
1: I, you know, and I don't think that that's a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of different than what I expected.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, because I, I, it
1: means that they can't, like, limit things to, like, per-day uses, you know? And so, like, I wonder what'll happen when an alchemist will be running around with, like, you know, a bag of holding full of alchemist fires. And that's all he does is he, like, bombs the shit out of people with alchemist fires.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's... I think I think that I think that's a valid character concept, um, like a, a valid fantasy, right? Like it's a thing yeah. that you, you'd want to embrace. I think that um, another thing that could be neat in this, in terms of this whole thing, is is to make items a little bit more flat and thus make diversity of weapon choice a little bit more appealing right like so if you want to kind of be the man-at-arms that kind of like pulls the right tool for the job out of his backpack
1: mm-hmm. whenever
0: he needs it that's really hard to do in Pathfinder as is because like you're not going to have like seven plus five weapons right yeah but it'd be a lot more reasonable to have like like say by end game like one flaming long sword one shocking hammer one like uh, you know I don't know like returning throwing star or something right Um. And as long as those power level, like you know, you could have one be a little bit better than the other, but as long as that uh, that that curve is relatively flat, you can um, you you can make that uh, work still. And I I'm actually really enjoying that with um, with in Starfinder. Um, I've got a couple different tools that you know, like well, I've got my laser cannon for this thing, and I've got like my grenade launcher for these other situations, and I and. You know, I'm wearing a pair of battle gloves with it, so if I need to punch someone, I can just kind of, like, take my hand off of something and, and thwack someone. I'm really- oh,
1: interesting, yeah. Yeah, I don't have that going for me, in, in, but we're also playing different kinds of mechanics. Because I, yeah. like, I have to kind of manage two weapon sets, because I need both a weapon set for my drone and for me, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and it's cool in a way, because, like, it makes me think about the map a lot more tactically. Like, I have a line... Or, I'm sorry, my drone has a line weapon, um, and a lot of the time my drone gets offshoots of my you know what I mean like when I upgrade I just pass on my my downgrade to yeah, yeah. My, to my drone or whatever but it means that like you know I need to be thinking about the drones positioning around his ability to use a line plasma cannon right and I'm thinking about my positioning right to make sure that I'm in range with you know this that or the other thing
0: yeah no absolutely that makes that makes sense I, I think that's actually a good, a good set of trade-offs right like you kind of have two things. So you don't have the diversity on, on yourself, but, like, it's much about you're kind of set load up with you and your drone, whereas yeah. I'm able to kind of cycle through things a little bit more rapidly on, on my own character. Um,
1: Plus, it's also about action economy because yeah. of the way the drone actions work, um, which I like quite a bit. I think that those the way that those actions are built is, is uh, engaging and a lot of fun because it means I have to be more cognizant of the actions that I'm taking and the actions that I'm having my drone take um as i'm moving you know through like through the map or whatever right um because only one of us can make a move action a turn and so like if the if the fight is progressing forward which happens quite a bit because we have kind of two melee characters um if the fight is moving forward and i'm trying to like keep myself at range and, and like out of the way and not getting like destroyed with uh with like targeted fire or something like that um I don't know. It's uh, it's it's interesting, and I think that this is the this is the sweet spot of like items, right? Like you want to be referencing this kinds of thing, stuff with your items, and I think it is important, right, that something like uh, a spear has reach, and that dictates the way that you engage with the map in a tactical perspective. Um, and it's imp- and and finding a good way to make that work uh, over the course of you know a campaign is 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 tough a little bit but i but actually i think at the end of the day the platonic ideal that i have for this is um is one that i've been seeing or i've been sort of playing in BattleTech, which is uh in BattleTech you can choose how much scrap you come out of a fight with versus how much raw money you come out of a fight with um And raw money is important, right, because it, like, keeps you going and everything like that. But I I, I kind of like the idea that you play, like, a more modular game and it's – and, you know, and you take a quest, but that quest kind of implicitly says this is a quest that's going to give you a bunch of magic items, right? Or this is a quest that's going to give you a bunch of gold and you can kind of, like, make choices along those lines. Um, That seems like a more – that seems like the way that, like, Fallout or something, you know, handles it, right? Like. I take a quest in Skyrim because, you know, I think it's going to put me, you know, I think I'm going to get a dragon mask or something like that uh, versus I'm going to take this quest in Skyrim because I just need to get a bunch of bullshit and sell it at a shop so I can go buy this thing.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I think it's, I think there's been a tendency, um, at least in our group, but I, I think this is kind of how adventure paths work as a general rule to kind of be, these, these stories that tell a complete story from beginning to end and be mm. these narrative different things. And, then, and those are, the, I mean, I'm not knocking those. Those are great in their own right. But, like, a more kind of, like, you know, we're a party of merry adventurers and we're going to do the adventure of the week. Um, it doesn't have as, as much kind of, like, narrative throughput, obviously, but I think it opens up the, the gameplay to kind of that level of, like, well, this week we decided we wanted to, you know, make some money. So we went and we did, like, bitch work for the mayor and went and, like, kicked some goblins' asses. Yeah. Um, um. Whereas, like, you know, uh, next week we wanted to get a sword and someone told us that, like, or we wanted to get magic that there was a dragon hiding out in the hills and, uh, you know, it wasn't terrorizing anybody or anything, but we're going to go find him and stab him a bunch. And we got his horde, right? Like... Yeah,
1: Um, It sucks because that puts so much work on the GM. Yeah. I mean, because you need to make uh, you need like not only do you need to kind of have these different like plot hooks or whatever. um, You need to uh, you need to kind of populate those plot hooks with adventures. Yeah. um, Or at least kind of like the bare bones of adventures. Uh, Um,
0: I I think on the flip side of that, I think it's a little bit easier to maybe like either generate or find pre-built versions of like those kind of like miniature things and just kind of, like, slot them in and, like, adjust the wiring a little bit to fit, like, your specific deal, right? Like, I'm sure you could go and find, like, 72 different, like, goblin dens and 105 different dragon dens yeah. and, like, pick two and be like, well if to pick this one, I'll use, you know, variants 3A, um... Uh, but I
1: I, I I do take
0: your point that there's... I also,
1: I mean, this is actually something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to move away from... Uh, like, once Hell's Rebels ends and I'm thinking about the next campaign that I want to run, I'm pretty sure I would want to run that almost from scratch. Um, in the, Because, uh, first of all, I think being on the upswing with Pathfinder 2 will allow... Uh, Like, as a GM. Like, one of the things that is kind of, like, daunting is all of these different choices for, like, monsters and shit that is in Pathfinder 1E. And I think that that's effective and everything like that. But I like the idea that in Pathfinder 2, uh, I am in from the ground floor and I can sit down and I can, like, read and annotate my own monster manual or something. And I can say, you know, that this is going to be the, you know, like... Uh, like, oh, here's a neat kind of combination of monsters that would make, like, a cool encounter or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, it's more manageable when you're doing it together than when you're, like, going back and sifting through the SRD, which has thousands of entries that are poorly organized kind of thing. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's kind of from that perspective. I'm I'm excited for 2E as, like, a reset because, like... um, you know, if, like, let's say we wanted to go back and maybe give run a real run for it, right? Like, I was this,
1: literally thinking of that same thing, actually. No, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it'd
0: be a great opportunity for it, right? Like, I if I wanted to go build a piece of, like, weird software, like, I've been thinking about trying to build, like, a, a small spell cards app for a while, and I could probably kind of do it mm-hmm. um, right now, but, like, um, not, not only is it the state of Pathfinder 1, but, like, the resources that's like the database of available spells is um absurd. Like it's like there's no official source. There's mm-hmm. whatever source you find online, and who knows how accurate that source is. Yeah, and and so like kind of hitting a, a nice reset point is is nice for like you know if I want to go and manually enter that all myself, it's not impossible because there aren't seven thousand spells. It'll still be a pain in the ass. will be like fundamentally less so. I'm kind of looking forward to, to, to that on the reset, although I think we've kind of gotten away from our, our base topic a little bit. That's
1: true. Yeah, I mean, my overall point is that I think item levels are very good, and that I think kind of um, gamifying to a certain extent, sort of the, the, the direction that, that paths, uh, the direction of paths for your characters, right? Uh, those are two very good things that I uh, think will help item, you know, like help, help make items uh, better and more approachable than they are in the kind of current landscape of Pathfinder 1E. And I also do, you know, maybe if I was playing with like true blue straight raw item creation and I was doing like rando hordes and stuff like that, maybe we wouldn't be seeing as much of these problems. Or like maybe if we were less Captain Crunchy and a little more theater Kitty and more willing to kind of like, you know, just kind of not worry about being optimal right it's like hey man yeah like maybe i could take this great sword that's better than my axe but i really want to keep my axe fantasy going so fuck you right like you know uh i think i think those are all those are all kind of
0: yeah I'm, a, I'm also super excited for like these 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 item changes that you know makes a a, a, a an axe you know noticeably different from uh a sword from a, a hammer in terms of like weapon attributes because and attributes that are a little bit fuzzier, right? Like you know, you can you can do the math on an extended crit range versus a times three crit versus like high base damage and figure out which is more effective damage. It is a lot harder to do that when it's like, well, you can cleave on a crit or you can, you know, do some other kind of related action that don't have as as strict number values associated with them. Um I and so I'm I'm excited for that to kind of like bring out some diversity of play and also make the weapons feel more distinctive as, as we've talked about before. Um uh but did you have anything else you wanted to talk about on uh, on on item progression?
1: Uh no, no. I think that's uh, I think that's it.
0: Excellent. Well, uh then we'll we'll start out with uh how was your week?
1: Uh how was my week? um i've been having a tough time playing things i really want to play I, I i'm in that point you know what i mean where i want to play um different things but i don't like quite know what i want to play and so i keep like getting five minutes into like I, it's been pillars of eternity divinity original sin which i talked about um recently um I I loaded up the Witcher 3 for all of like 20 seconds uh, because I was like, oh, maybe I'll play the, you know, like maybe I'll play the fucking like Witcher, you know, and so I've just been sitting here play Europa Universalis, you know, um, uh, just because like I am so close to the end of Battletech. I'm at the very last mission of Battletech um, and I know that I'm about to be done with it and I want to play and I want to like transition into something else uh but i just i don't know i haven't been able to find that specific thing to kind of like scratch my scratch my itch uh have have you played a darkest dungeon yeah yeah i played a whole bunch of darkest dungeon um i never beat it unfortunately because it kind of got grindy for me uh but i have wow only 14 hours i only have 14 hours in darkest dungeon dude what the fuck
0: i was gonna say like that that might scratch that itch for you uh at some level but uh You know, if if you're already already deep into that, maybe maybe not so much.
1: Yeah, maybe I'll just pick it back up and uh, and continue where I left off because it was a good game. I want to continue, I want to continue and try. Like, have have you played Into the Breach? No, I haven't. Oh shit! That's like it's 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 turn-based mech battles. Yeah, no, that yeah, I completely forgot about that because I haven't been looking at new games. I've only been looking at games that are um that are sitting in my library. You know what I mean? So,
0: that's <laughs> fair funny. enough. Fair enough. No, no. I just you know, I I'm I'm looking at my library. I'm like, I need the breach. Oh, like that. That's that's exactly what, what he's talking about. Um, uh, something that I played kind of in, in that that same kind of uh, uh you know list of like you know I I am feeling some you like I'm kind of, you know, floating on WoW. Uh, playing a little bit of Warframe, but uh, I I I did it. I downloaded and played a couple of matches of of Fortnite.
1: Uh, oh, wow. No way.
0: Yeah. Um, I will say that I still don't like it as much as I like, uh, um, uh, a PUBG. Um, mm. I still don't, I'm not super deep. It's like super appreciative of the, the building mechanics, but it's, it's neat. Right. Like, I, it's, it's not like I, I can't play it. I still prefer PUBG. Um, but, uh, you know, I get, I get why people like it. Um. There's kind of, like... So, you know how in, in PUBG you get to a point where... When you're kitted out, there's, like, a... There's a point where you really don't need to loot anymore. Yeah. Um, there are, like, item rarities in Fortnite that... Um, I'm not sure exactly what they do, but they're kind of, like, an incentive to keep, like, searching for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also got a little bit more room. Like, you've got, like, just, like, six slots that you can fill with whatever the hell you want to. Um, and so, like, you know, some... some like... If you want, like, three shotguns, you can do that. But if you want, like, but, you know, like, your medicine also takes up a slot. So, you know, there's some cool choices there. Uh, The game's obviously a lot more fast-paced. There's not as much kind of, like, PUBG, like, hiding and, like, popping out and and doing that stuff, which is some of the stuff that I really like. But, you know, it's it's still a neat experience. Um, If at some point you want to get it, we can play some of them, maybe do an episode on on the most popular game in the world right now. Um breaks breaks my heart.
1: I do feel like I I feel like I should um play some some Fortnite just because it is the most popular game in the world. I don't know. I also there's other stuff too like fucking Vermintide. Like man, I really yeah. like playing Vermintide. I want to go back to uh I want to go back to Vermintide. It's just tough to find the time, you know. Yeah, uh, And I've also been, just been sitting around watching, uh, like, like part of it is I want to find a good game to play while I am watching something else, because that's kind of what Battletech is. Um, because, like, if the more I sit and focus on Battletech, the more boring it becomes in this later stage of, of things. So I have kind of, like, sort of supplemented my engagement by watching something on my other screen.
0: Fair enough. Um... Oh, something that comes out soon that I think we should check out is Dauntless moves into open beta, uh, on May 24th, which will be before this podcast comes out, I think. Ooh. So at some point we should check that out. It's, it's a monster hunter like game. Yeah. Um, I, I have played a bit of it cause I, I have a, uh, like a founder account cause I was like, why not? looks cool. Um, and so I know that we've got other people in, in our, in our group that are excited for it. So, uh. I think at some point we'll at least have a little bit to talk about in this section about that, um, or at least I will. Um,
1: what else? Yeah, uh, I remember we, we, we talked about this a while ago, um, but I feel like Dauntless has quite a bit of uh, uh, appeal to to like the group of us. I don't know. I I like the. I've always enjoyed games that have this kind of Monster Hunter like loop where you go find something that's really powerful and then you kill it and then you make shit out of it. Um, Yeah. So. Um, Yeah.
0: Oh, so. I actually wanted to follow up on something we talked about a little bit last week during our Deadpool episode. Um, uh, I went and watched uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, okay. um, And uh, if you don't know, Karen Sony, Dopinder, is uh like the tertiary main character in uh in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um maybe maybe like quaternary main character I guess cuz the uh the movie's actually pretty neat. It's it's kind of like if like like the the Parks Direct Burt Macklin uh thing was was like a movie except that Burt Macklin is totally like is not like a joke from a character. It's like somebody who thinks like that's actually how things work. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a very weird movie, but uh, it's, it's it's. I mean, it's,
1: it's directed by the guy that did Jurassic World, which was awful. Uh, uh, oh, and, uh, yeah. It, this is the thing that we like. i not not to not to cast aspersions on this film. I, I've yeah. heard that it's very good, um, but it is funny because it is the thing that got Colin Trevorrow Jurassic World, which then got him Star Wars Nine, which then he lost because he made another movie called Book of Henry, that was awful. <laughs>
0: um. But uh. But. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very much Aubrey Plaza being April-ish, which I enjoy, um, mm-hmm. and it's like, it came out right in the middle of Parks and Rec, too, it, it obviously might, was probably filmed a little bit earlier, so maybe early, into it felt like she wasn't super comfortable in the character all the way, and it's, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, 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 it's very neat, um, uh, it's very indie feeling. Um, and Mark Duplass as as the uh, as as the the Burt Macklin character, as I'm gonna put it, is, is 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 very interesting. Especially you have like, I only know him from like the League, and that's it. Um, and so seeing him in this very kind of self-serious nutty person who thinks he can he can travel through time, um, is is very interesting.
1: That's funny. Mark Duplass and his brother, who's in the show that I've actually been watching, uh, Jay Duplass, are. Uh, very famous indie film directors. Um, they've made a bunch of indie films over the past couple of years. Like Mumblecore is not quite them, um, but like they are related to it. If that makes sense, like they kind of like make those sorts of, they like make those sorts of movies. But uh, but yeah, Mark 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 and J. Duplass are very are are famous among like film nerds um, I, I, because.
0: I, 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 I am sure, but they are famous normal people for the leak. Yeah, uh, no. Well, who, Jay,
1: Jay wasn't in the league, right?
0: Um, no, no, no Mark. Jay is, Jay
1: is the, the 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 show that I've been watching, which I guess I will rant about in a second. is uh, Is called Transparent, and Jay plays one of the one of the kids um, on that on that show. And I haven't actually seen him in other stuff. Uh, I think Mark does more um, uh, acting, like acting, or at least like acting in that kind of like context. Um... Like Transparent is is marketed as a comedy to a certain extent. Like it won the Golden Globe for comedy. Dude, that fucking movie that that show is not a comedy. It is like the most oh God. Okay, just to explain, Transparent is a show about a um uh a sixty year old trans woman played by Jeffrey Tambor from like Arrested Development. He's George Bluth in, in Arrested Development. Um and and like his kids and they live in kind of Brentwood And, you know, like the Pacific Palisades, which are really swanky, kind of like the Upper West Side in New York, uh, like Jewish family, right? And he has three kids, um, Sarah, uh, who's someone, Josh, who is Jay, Jay Duplass. And then, um, fuck, what the fuck is her stupid name? I can't even remember her name, like the youngest one. She's awful. All the kids are fucking awful. And it is the story of these awful, super awful self-centered family where everyone is just so fucking like myopically narcissistic that they run around the show ruining the lives of all of the supporting characters so, so kind of like always sunny Oh my! Yeah, but it's, it's it's always sunny. But imagine always sunny, where the show is extremely sympathetic to those characters. You know what I mean? Where like the show doesn't quite realize how awful these characters are. At this point, I basically hate watching the show because the, everyone is just so awful, and I just can't. And and every moment, because this happens every once in a while, where like one of the supporting characters will get like. Where we'll get like a moment to like dress down one of the main characters and be like, "Oh my God, you are so awful. Go fuck yourselves." <laughs> and it's the most satisfying thing <laughs> because they're all so bad and awful and terrible to one another, right? Uh, and it's it's very soap opera. It, it's very soap opera-ish. Um. And I also want to clarify that actually, like the points of the show. The show is called Transparent because obviously it is about a trans parent, right? Uh, um, I get it. Yeah, right. Uh, and when the show is kind of talking about like trans issues and being uh, you know, like a like a uh, a trans woman in modern times or whatever, and what that kind of looks like, uh, that was really like that's when the show is like good and fun and interesting, right? Uh, you know like the, na- the character's name is Mora. And she goes to support groups and stuff like that. And people are talking about their support groups, right? Um, And, you know, she has trans friends uh, who, you know, like are former trans prostitutes. And one of her trans friends is like, yeah, like, you know, people who date trans women are either, you know, fooled because I do such a good job of passing. um, Or they are, you know, fetishizing me kind of thing. And, you know, like very, like real deep Kind of dives into this kind of uh, like this kind of like gender uh, sexuality subculture um, that I find incredibly interesting. But the problem is, I guess they just don't feel like they have enough, they have enough like mileage out of that stuff. So they have to supplement it with like the three kids just being absolutely awful to everyone around them. (laughs) <laughs> and like just bulldozing through people's lives in in a in a in a super shitty kind of way uh, I described them as sex as sex and sexuality tourists to Rachel the other day which is probably the best way of doing it and I think to a certain extent the show kind of wants to be about like a broader discussion of kind of like gender and like sexuality and stuff like that um but like the speed with which these characters change their sexuality, to kind of like explore something new uh like at first the oldest daughter is a closeted lesbian and she gets into this lesbian relationship and then uh she does the runaway bride thing from her lesbian wedding and completely fucks up her lesbian partner's whole life um and then she's like okay well now i guess i'm bi but then she sees some people doing bdsm and she's like oh well maybe i'm into maybe i'm into bdsm and then she hires this pro dominatrix uh to dominate her right but then she's like well maybe i want to be the dominatrix right and then she ruins the dominatrix's life like it's just, it's not fucking stop with these people <laughs> I'm just, it's like, watching the show and i'm like is this a writer's room full of people who like kind of don't know how to uh, they, like don't know how to like write compelling drama out of like these very human things or are they, or is this just like a, well, you know, what's a weird sexual subtype that we haven't like talked about. Right. Uh, the show has a, has a turf, uh, turf being short for trans exclusionary radical feminists. Um, which is very common, uh, especially, like, in academia. There's a lot of radical feminists who kind of view uh, trans women as, like, men who are trying to co-opt and invade women's uh, like women 's spaces or whatever, and there 's a character who is so perfectly set up as a fucking turf and I was really mad about this actually, like they keep foreshadowing it because she 's like uh, you know she 's a really old school feminist she had a she had a bad interaction in the 70s with uh, with Mora when she was still uh, mort um, and in the closet about her own uh, uh, about her own gender and um Uh, And then she shows up later and she's constantly misgendering Mora and stuff like that and, like, talking about, like, men invading, like, women's spaces and stuff. And then they go to a women's festival, Um, the two daughters and Mora... And you know that the women's festival is going to be turfy, right? And it's going to be like you know, like women born women or something like kind of like that. And that actually comes up, and they go to the turfy feminist who invited them to the festival, and she like helps smuggles Mora out of it. And I'm like, oh my fucking god, you're giving me the most blue balls. This woman is obviously the most turfy turf that's ever turfed, (laughs) (laughs) and you're not letting her be the turf that she is. And I was so mad about it, you know. So that's transparent. I highly recommend watching it if you fucking want to hate these characters. and hate these people oh also by the way they are super fucking yuppie jews who are full of money apparently and have like no money problems and then there was one episode where mora goes to south central la uh, where i like live uh where she goes to south central la to go talk to a young uh black trans woman and and she goes and she does like the, the typical like old white person thing of just fucking everything up. She gets arrested for shoplifting and her purse gets stolen and she goes to and, and she has like a like a panic attack in the middle of like a SWAT meet and I was like, yes, fuck you, Mora, you old bougie motherfucker, get out of here. You don't belong here. And it was just, man, this show, this show's been ruining me, mango.
0: This sounds like an average day on Twitter. Uh but yeah, no, it's, it sounds it's, it sounds deep. There's
1: so much I could go about on this show, dude. Yeah, no, I I, I don't
0: know. I, I I I do enjoy that type of, I don't know that, that kind of. I guess it's like a type of Schadenfreude. Um, uh, I don't know. Not 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 to get uh. I don't know. That sounds, that sounds neat. Maybe I'll check it out. Um, yeah,
1: you, you just specifically have to hate watch it. Every time the show is like, no, these people are so sad. Have sympathy for them. Refuse. Don't let your empathy kick in. Have empathy for the people who they're fucking over. Yeah. Oh, man, that's 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 interesting. I wonder.
0: Uh, I wonder. Uh
1: it's i mean i wonder too like with the so with the lesbian right um so sarah the oldest character she starts this lesbian relationship with a woman named tammy and tammy is an imperial an interior designer um and uh, and sarah and tammy move into mora's house which she which she uh she goes to live in an apartment complex with a whole bunch of other queer people <clears throat> and tammy like interior decorates the house or whatever um and uh, And, like Josh just wants to flip the house. he He wants to sell the house because it's in the Pacific Palisades. It's worth like a bazillion dollars now because that's like a super upscale part of. You know, uh, super upscale part of LA, um, and he wants to take the money from flipping it and start a, and start his own record label because he's a selfish asshole and he can't think about anybody but himself and his own goals and ambitions. Um, and he gets so mad at Tammy for being an interior decorator and like <laughs> and like redesigning uh, the house and like doing work on the house to like make it, I guess, nice or whatever. And then two seasons later, right? So Sarah abandons Tammy. Tammy, who buys the way is a sober alcoholic and then descends back into alcoholism because she got she got mad that sarah kept trying to break her sobriety and smoke weed with her Right? Like, i can't believe and the show takes these characters so seriously dude and then, uh, and then three seasons later, we haven't seen or heard or talked about Tammy in so long. And there's this whole thing where Mora comes back to the house and she's like, Ah, oh, Tammy ruined my fucking house. And she takes a poker from the fireplace and starts demolishing the house just to stick it to Tammy, who hasn't been in the show for a whole season and a half. And I'm just like, what the fuck are they doing? I don't understand. It so, yeah.
0: sounds like Rickety Cricket from Holy Sonny. <laughs>
1: I don't. I. I don't. I don't know, man. I don't even know what to tell you. I
0: might. I have to give this a watch. This, this sounds. It sounds pretty incredible.
1: Pay. Play close attention to the rabbi character Raquel, uh, who is played by. I can't remember her name. Um, uh, like the actri- actress's name, but she plays the uh, in Perks and Rec, She plays the um, the campaign manager, like Bobby Newport's campaign manager, like okay. the fast talking from Washington D.C. And she is a fantastic actress, and she does a fantastic job. And she breaks like the this family breaks this woman because of their own inability to have like a basic human decency for one another <sighs> anyway anyway I'm, I'm not done i'm on season three and i'm sure i'll be back when i finish season four next week and we'll talk all about <laughs> we'll talk all about this show dude
0: yeah um kind of close it out i guess On um, the other thing i saw um, I'll have to I'll watch because of analysis video by this guy called Bread Sword. I'll link to both of them. Um, uh, is, uh, Perfect Blue by Satoshi Khan. Um, I know you've said you're going to watch, so maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this in one of the later, uh, back halves. But, mm-hmm. uh, I just wanted to say that, uh, it was, um, I, 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 I had, I've seen a couple of episodes of Paranoia Agent, which is another one of Satoshi Khan's pieces of work. Um, but I had never, I never even heard of Perfect Blue before this. Um, and that movie uh, is, is apparently one of the inspirations for uh, Black Swan, um, mm. and it really shows. Um, the movies, like, the animation isn't, like, super crazy good or anything. It's, it very much looks like an anime from the 80s, which uh, or it looks like an anime from the 80s, even though it's from the 90s, I think, um, but kind of like that, like, little little bit of washed-outness, but the plot and the music... Um, are so good, um, and it is such a trip, um, I would highly recommend it to anyone, um, I couldn't find a good legal streaming source, um, but the full thing, sub and dub, is on YouTube, so if any of our viewers want to go see it, I won't link directly to it, because I, I, I don't know, I feel like that's a little bit of a bridge too far, but, uh, uh, you can, you can find it, um, it is, uh, it's it was it's 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 the imagery is is kind of incredible the the way it plays with music the way it plays with kind of like scene transitions um uh kind of like it no other film have I seen has have really like made me feel kind of as manic as the character appears to be on screen mm-hmm. um and this and it's like I was watching people like what what the like I felt like I was I was in like some of the same state of confusion as the character and it was really really uh great it is um uh let's say 18 plus um there are there are there are some uh exposed uh nipples um and actually i think there might even be like like some uh like there's 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 some pubic hair definitely in there so uh don't watch this at work folks um uh but uh it is it is a uh super super well well done um, I, I can't I can't say enough about it.
1: Uh. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I do need to watch that because uh, everybody talks about Satoshi Kone. He's kind of like like everybody knows um, Miyazaki, obviously. You know, I'm sure we are all um, uh, intimately familiar with uh, with Hayao Miyazaki. Um, but uh, but Satoshi Kone is kind of like the film nerd, like Japanese anime guy. Uh, and there are a couple of video essays out there that I have seen uh, about his stuff that I want to – you know what I mean? Like that, that, I, that, I, uh, that I have always wanted to, to break, the, break the glass and, and watch, but I haven't, I haven't gotten there.
0: You should, you should also check out uh, um, uh, Makoto Shinkai. Okay. Um, who he has done famously uh, 5 centimeters per second um, and your name. Um, I thought he did Graveyard of the Fireflies, but that might be somebody else. No, Grave I think
1: Fireflies was uh, it was another Miyazaki. It was like Miyazaki's like Apprentice or something. Oh, was he it made Grave of the Fireflies? Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name though. Uh,
0: but yeah, but Sh- it's Makoto Shinkai is is, is, is great too.
1: Uh, uh, there is something uh, there's something else I wanted to talk about, which was an article on Medium, which is how you know it's gonna be good because anybody can post on Medium, in case yeah. any of you listeners didn't know, called um, On Art, Commercialism, Deadpool 2, and a Culture of Violence. <laughs> um. And we've recently done episodes on Deadpool 2 and and kind of like uh, and violence. Um, and while the article kind of shies away from the typical sort of like censorship, it is kind of asking the greater question, which is like, what – Does it mean about us and our culture that we are so willing to kind of accept the comedy as violence sort of slapstick uh, for adults um, in a world where there are, you know, regrettable mass shootings uh, all across the country, um, you know, something that is like an almost expected eventuality? Um, to hear about in the news, like every other sort of uh, every other sort of the day, I don't, I don't really agree with any of this article. Uh, but it was just funny how much of a cross section it was, kind of of the, um, of the two, um, of the two podcast episodes uh, that we. Of the, of the two podcast episodes that we did. And I do think that there is something kind of to, um, like, I, I, I don't want to get on his case for kind of raising the question in a way, because I think that that's an important question to sort of kind of, like, self-interrogate. Uh, but ultimately, I do kind of come down on the side of, like, I don't see why slapstick for adults is a bad thing. And Deadpool 2 didn't... I, I, I just... I, I, I am unconvinced uh, of this, of, of a... Of a powerful connection uh between the the two things uh as he lays it out um i don't know i should have sent you i should have said this to you beforehand i now really? realize <laughs> though i'm sure you would have hated it a lot more than i would
0: <laughs> yeah uh, it sounds sounds like some bs um i will point out just uh you know to beat the drums that a uh, violent crime is down lower than it ever has been um and so you know and in Films have only gotten more violent, so I don't know if you can really draw a good connection there. I, you know, standard stuff. Yeah, I,
1: he actually has this one line that I think pretty well sums up sort of like my superficial comments, where he kind of says um, that uh, it's a movie that actively conditions you not to think. Its trademark humor is the breakneck deployment of cultural references to other superheroes, to other movies, to other characters played by Ryan Reynolds, to its own budget and production. Its meta jokes have no setups, only punchline uh, meant to induce a Pavlovian response in its audience, wherein recognition equals laughter. Um, Which is kind of a meaner way to put a, a little bit of what I was talking about last week, but... Um, it is something that I think is, like, keeps me at arm's length from the Deadpool movies, because, uh, whereas in a movie like 21 Jump Street, or the Lego movie, um, or Jumanji, which came out, uh, or Hot Fuzz, which are all kind of similarly, like, meta, action-y comedy kind of movies, um, those movies are all, like I said, they are structurally also comedies, and they are structurally kind of built to have an overall point, um, that is kind of about these, um, that are, that are kind of like about the things that they are like sort of satirizing. Uh, but Deadpool kind of misses that by not having uh, by not having anything but that own kind that kind of like Pavlovian response, I think. Like I don't really think Deadpool has much to say about, you know how super like about superhero movies in the modern era. It just kind of wants to poke fun at them like a mad magazine, you know spread page sort of thing
0: yeah yeah no I, I i get that um i mean it's kind of like what meme humor is you know like bite-sized chunks of in jokes
1: yeah yeah i guess that yeah right. that is the way to think about it that's oh. true <laughs> deadpool 2 is just full of memes but it's like film nerd memes not yeah. like internet memes um <laughs> if he had made a if he had made a what are those joke would you have been mad mango um what do you, would you have been as angry
0: um, that's that's actually that's, that's actually a good question um, <laughs> um maybe it depends it would, it would depend on the context
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah 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 I think it would depend on the context also like not 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 to get too, like inside baseball with memes but I think like what are those is also kind of like a normie meme so like 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 that's like a level of like if he if he had done like a minions meme in the middle of it that was like played straight and not tongue-in-cheek it would be similar like what um I don't know it's it's I have I have I don't know thought Meme memes are are a strange place um the meme landscape I don't I don't even know
1: yeah i i do kind of under it's like a nine gag meme you know what i mean which is like a
0: yeah yeah i think that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> i don't know there, like, there's
1: there, there's some like dubiousness to his authenticity as a meme i guess in a way yeah a, is it it's like a logan pause and a jake paul thing
0: what, what are those oh no that's not initially what it was but, I don't even know what he, he, but he, but he, it was, this it is was how
1: normy a meme it was. Yeah, don't, it was don't like even it was know like the original s- meme. <laughs> it
0: was like some kids like yelling at like a crossing guard shoes or something. But then Jake Paul famously did it in a video.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I remember when Jake Paul did it to the fucking like news anchor. Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. That was talking about how oh, he's
0: like burning furniture in his pool. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> he, like climbed on the news van, like oh Jesus, but um. But yeah, like I don't know, there there's this level of like uh, there's occasionally memes where it's like the memes I used to like and memes I like now, and it's like you know, there's this there's this trend on YouTube haiku. It's it's been relatively short-lived, but there's this great picture of a of like uh, a girl walking on the street with her hands over her ears and her presumably is like her brother with a trumpet just like blaring it at her. And it's a very <laughs> funny picture. But the, the meme is is it's somebody in Photoshop stretching the elements and, like, moving the elements along to, like, a soundtrack but it's, like, you can see like, the outline, like, the, the, the drag tool interface and, like, a big part of it is, like, that's not realistic it looks like you're, like, filming Adobe Photoshop and I laugh at, like, I find these so funny but it's, like, just so, so, like deep inside this, like, level of, like, what the fuck am I doing with my life and what is this and why? I don't know. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's like the same kind of like, it's like the same kind of thing is like, why is, why are, why are fucking, uh, uh, steamed ham memes so funny? Um,
1: yeah, I don't understand (laughs) steamed ham. Like from like a, from like a, a gut perspective, I laugh at it, but I don't know why. I just don't get it. It's
0: like folded so far fucking inside of itself.
1: Like. Yeah, because there are some memes like, like like I don't know if you've heard of uh, yesent. Yeah, like when- <laughs> yeah. yesent. I found hilarious for whatever reason. Yesent was a meme that was somebody who who kind of like tweet. I guess he tweeted like the Merriam Webster or something. It wasn't even that I don't think, but he was like, "Can we change no to yesent?" <laughs> and then for like the next like three days, there were just and memes everywhere, where all you did was sub out the word no for the word yesent.
0: Yeah, no. I so, so the first time I saw it, it like, like, it's a picture screenshot of a petition, and it says petition to change no to yesin and it has one signature. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's yeah. oh, what, what are oh man. I st-
1: we should do an episode on memes. Oh god.
0: <laughs> oh man, just uh, I'm I'm sad that that a touch of my spaghetti has 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 died. Uh, that was that was that was a hardcore January meme. Uh,
1: yeah. Oh
0: man. But anyway, enough about memes. You have
1: anything <laughs> we else? We are we're over our time <laughs> <What are you laughs> talking yes. about fucking memes.
0: Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to tell us what you think of memes or Deadpool two <laughs> or,
1: <laughs> or or item progression, progression. <laughs> this is what the whole episode is supposed to be about. <laughs>
0: Send, send us your favorite memes to podcast at subnervsplaygames.com or subnervsplaygames at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us at twitch.tv, socialnervsplaygames. You can uh, uh, watch us on, or you can listen to us on SoundCloud Radio and review us on iTunes. Find us where all great podcasts are found. Tell your friends, tell your family. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote?
1: I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote.
0: In that case, until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.